Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Cast Podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Thomas Brancato, host at MI Cynic, and I am joined by Efren Torres. Hello, my name is Efren Torres and I am Chief of Station, uh, <laughs> precisely at Chief of Station's podcast. Uh, and yeah, no, it's great having this initiative. Um, this is uh, a podcast of podcasts. Uh, it is a, a platform designed to meet uh, monthly, um, bi-monthly, um, as time allows for uh, Thomas and I to discuss our current projects, uh, the different people we interview in our respective podcasts, and also to elaborate on different things that we maybe didn't have time to touch on during our interviews. Hmm. So Thomas, thank you very much for taking the time today. I am very excited to start this. I am equally as honored. Uh, as as you know, I met Efren uh, not very long ago, uh, thinking I was the only one doing a podcast dedicated towards the uh, the world of private intelligence. And lo and behold, Efren had already a, an amazing uh, series up and running. And I was immediately impressed uh, and admiring uh, your work, certainly. And uh, out of that bloomed a, a friendship, I'd like to think. And then the idea in one of our conversations came along that said, um, you know, it would be great uh, service to to the community if we can speak about it in those terms, the private intelligence practitioners and, and hobbyists community, um, to have a monthly roundup of where we're at and, uh, and what we've discovered in doing this line of work. Yeah, no, it was definitely interesting having somebody aside from the traditional Chinese and Iranian citizens trying to reach out to me, somebody who I did not know anything about, just calling himself in my cynic. And it was just a podcast page. And then I, I dug a little deeper and then I found uh, Thomas's uh, LinkedIn profile. I just spoke directly to, to him. Um, but uh, yeah, so we both have uh, podcasts. Uh, yours is about to, uh, to be launched officially. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's in the works. Uh, you know, it's barely a month into the making of this podcast. It's been an idea, an idea that I've had for a long time, but it's um, uh, soon soon to launch. I'm hoping by next week, uh, the first episode will be up. But what is it about? Um, maybe you want to give an overview uh, to those uh, my network, my audience listening to it that may be interested in also going to your podcast. Yeah, well, I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of commonality between what we do. Mine, uh, you know, formally is dedicated towards the uh, the study and in an interview format of, uh, as I said, the world of private intelligence and not so much close intelligence, private intelligence, uh, international relations, a bit of politics. I think the the guiding principle that I had was, uh, you know, I love I love this topic. Uh, I'm passionate about it. I did my master's in it. I've worked in private intelligence. I'm working in private intelligence. Um, and there aren't many resources uh, out there uh, yet because it's it's such a new field. And I thought some great conversation could happen uh, because, because as a discipline, I think private, uh, when we're talking about intelligence, whether it's private or, or not private, close intelligence, uh, or human intelligence signals, whatever, whatever kind of intelligence, it's inevitably has so many auxiliary subjects. You talk about politics, history, society, ethics. There's so many levels of abstraction 
uh, you know, that you can start from a simple Cold War spy story and uh, after an hour conversation with an expert, end up uh, talking about fascinating, uh, you know, conclusions to wider society. And and I think that was uh, really where MI6 began, uh, the guiding principle. Uh, How about you for Ghost? Is it um, a similar story? Uh, For Ghost, uh, for Chiefs of Station... um, so it is part of Ghost, and Ghost is uh, um, an, an initiative that I have where I train uh, recent graduates or early to mid-career professionals uh, within the in private sector intelligence sphere. Um, and I did have this speaker series. So we had people like Scott Stewart uh, from, uh, from the private sector, as well as uh, Randy Ferson from Ferson and Associates, uh, Gregory Treverton, uh, who used to work at the Rand Corporation. So we had all these people with this, uh, with tons of experience, come and, and talk to uh, to my students. But then I realized, you know, the, the, these live conversations, these live presentations, were only um, limited to my students, and they were pretty much they will get lost, right? So then I decided a podcast will be a better way to serve the audience and also uh, for this content to reach um, more people than just my group of students, that close circle. Mm. Uh, so it is also a, a very good way to uh, to be able to develop uh, uh, knowledge of intelligence as a discipline uh, in more or less of a pseudo-academic way. I mean, I am not, well, I haven't written anything academic in a while, uh, but this is another way in which we can communicate more or less the same knowledge uh, in a different platform that is uh, that is easily accessible to those that are not very keen on reading an academic uh, article, uh, but are more willing to listen to this um, and, mm-hmm. and getting basically the same message uh, straightly from the source, directly from the source rather than from an academic's point of view and giving this yeah, it's, it's almost like you're I mean you're you're the the pages are being written as you as you do this certainly yours is so integrated within uh, a practical uh, element which is of course the, the course that, that you offer and I think that's that's really fascinating because it, it makes me think um, how much this this world of podcasting youtubing you know all of these new platforms as you call them uh, are really revolutionizing the way that we consume information process information uh, you know contextualize information get to get to meet new information I mean it's you know when you compare it to what was available 20 30 years ago whether it was you know cable television or whatever it was that was that was in a way so limited as a format um, you know I don't know if you would have had the time to explore uh, you know private intelligence and such a you know kind of niche thing uh, properly in those formats no not at all I think um, that that was only the job of the the academic right because um, that individual was already in that environment and then for somebody like me who i am a practitioner and i guess you could call me a part-time academic uh uh it is not so academia is not my my full-time job uh, but i am interested in developing this thing and with with these different platforms uh then it's it's easier for me and it's a more dynamic way i, I find that a lot of people are are more inclined in discussing their you know their own professions their own experiences rather than me interviewing them and then writing something about it on, on, on an academic article and then other people read it. Um, it's that way it's, as I mentioned, it's directly from the source. 
uh, you learn from their experiences. And it's also, it's, it's a great way of forming a big network, right? Right. Uh, private sector intelligence, is, it's, it is a very small community here in the United States. Everybody knows of each other. Uh, but uh, also a lot of the times, um, certain people are not within the radar of, of other people and, you know, connecting people, bringing people together is also another um, main goal of, of the podcast. And for those uh, that are not really exposed to, to certain networks, it's also an opportunity for them to, to become known. Absolutely. Uh, I think I think it's, there's also a, a communal aspect to speak of, and certainly that's that's an aspiration I have. Uh, you know, in the long term for for MI Cynic uh, is that I, I think there's a there's a lack of there's a lack of a couple of things. The first of which is from a more professional context, just a, a certification body or or a formal procedure. Um, you know, that goes a bit beyond the academic and more into the technical, which is it's a little bit of what uh, what Ghost is, is trying to do, if I understand correctly. Uh, and then on the other side, I think there's a more organic aspect of, of what you were just mentioning now, this networking, but even at the roots of that, a, a kind of belonging or like, you know, even psychologically, you could think of it as a tribal thing, you know, in, you know, I'm sure that um, real estate sales persons uh you know they they you know immediately what that is and it's an identifiable tribe and when both of two sales real estate salesperson get together it's like oh okay you're you know you're in this professional body you studied at this university you're a class of this or whatever you know it, almost every industry has this uh, this culture if you will uh, an organic community that spawns around it and um, that is something that i personally haven't really witnessed yet in in our line of work and that, and that could be for a number of reasons um not least of which it's the line of work that we do itself is obviously uh was born from the closed intelligence world and leaked into the the open world and maybe a lot of um, a lot of that culture, you know, seeped into it uh, of confidentiality, of, of professionalism, of secrecy sometimes. Um, for whatever reason, there isn't really yet, a, you know, somewhere you can point and say, that's the private intelligence community. That's where they all get together. That's the pub they have a drink in, you know. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that, that we are maybe, hopefully, building. Right. So... Um, I will say within the, the last decade or so, uh, we have experienced a, um, an increase in uh, creation of intelligence units within the private sector. Of course, this dates back to the 80s with the oil and gas industry, even before the 80s. I mean, they, they were in, in, in such a, a difficult position uh, because of their respective industry that they needed to develop sort of this type of capabilities. But um, after 9-11, you know, as you know, students usually start their essays in <laughs> in intelligence when they're in a postgrad. Ever since 9/11, but yeah, ever since 9/11, you have seen these these companies um, developing these things because they you know they need to be more aware of the different geopolitical events unfolding. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the opportunities have been really uh, available for those that were not already in the intelligence community, but slowly this has been opening up to 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 those that were not working for the government, those that are just coming from, uh, they're just graduating or those who are just 
transitioning from one corporate position into this intelligence uh, field, it, it has definitely exploded uh, in terms of um, available opportunities. It is becoming more transparent. And that's because, um, again, more companies are adopt, adopting this type of initiatives. Uh, whereas if you look at 2007, um, you could rarely find a lot of these people were moving from the government. The, the, the departments were very small. I mean, they're still very small. Um, but now, like, you know, every other company now is starting to realize that we need to look after our own as well. And, and to a certain extent, Efren, I think that, um, you know, the, the cultural, the, the myth has a lot to do with that. I mean, I, I remember growing up, but, you know, you mentioned two, 2007, going back 10, 20 years ago, when you wouldn't really hear about private intelligence as a career path, you know, at least I never heard of it uh, until quite recently, actually. Um, and... You know, the image that I have certainly of, of this time frame, the early 2000s, was, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie The Matrix, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, this, um, there's this sort of joke about the 90s representation of uh, the, the hacker. Mm-hmm. And if you you know if you go to you know some websites uh, you know they'll, it's kind of like a bit of a meme, an internet meme uh, that you know you have the you know the, this particular glasses and there's there's the binary ones and zeros on the screen <laughs> and and within three seconds they've hacked into a bank and and you know the plot of the of the film is resolved, and uh, you know it's funny you know, because of because of how silly it is right because that that was never really a representative of of the world of intelligence or or espionage or hacking or any of the like but i do think there's uh, that as along with of course uh, james bond or um i'm not the, the cia equivalent is um what's it called the born trilogy um you know these are powerful myths that perhaps shape the way that uh, non-affiliated people that 99 of the planet uh, might view and, and certainly the you know the the shock reactions i sometimes get when i you know tell my my family the other side of the world uh, you know, i have family in south america i work in private intelligence and immediately oh you you know you're james bond or something <laughs> absolutely <laughs> look look the, the reason why i mentioned 2007 is because there is a media article out there um that makes reference uh to uh to private to, to a specific media company and uh, the fact that the company loves spies, which is absolutely not, not true. So there is this misunderstanding about what the intelligence professional actually does in the private sector. And again, this is driven by the stereotypes um, developed by Hollywood. As you mentioned, the Bourne trilogy, James Bond, Mission Impossible, you name it, you know, Salt, uh, all these different movies. And it's its quite unrealistic. So um, my mission also as, as, as an academic uh, that focuses on private sector intelligence is to demystify uh, this profession. Because number one, we're not working on business intelligence. We're not doing competitive intelligence. We are not uh, doing industrial espionage, and we're not spies, which I guess linked to industrial espionage. But yeah, so we're just simply, you know, we're a group of basically nerds. We are all nerds. We 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 love information. We crave um, that uh, that feeling that you get when you're trying to put a puzzle together you basically are scrambling for different pieces and to know where they go you're trying to understand the greater picture um we're like that we're, we're not 
we're, we're not overthrowing governments or stealing secrets, right? No, yeah, you're absolutely. I think it's 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 also it's a question I think of novelty because if you look at a lot of the the type of work that is being done around the clock in OSINT, in open source intelligence, and a lot of the companies that have departments and a lot of jobs that do open source research, um, it's it's the kind of not even the tools, the data itself that that you're analyzing is something that wouldn't have been made available uh, 20, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, and so I think that this plethora of new uh, tools uh, of, of the kind of big data that we haven't seen before um, has made has made that this position, this research, both essential and new. And I think that's the position that we find ourselves today is actually, you know, there's, there's all of these uh, private companies that say, you know, there's a world of information out there and there's, and, you know, we can hire somebody, a specialist, a, a young graduate that can decipher all of this. Um, but it's almost as if the, the, the public image has not been able to catch up with how fast these developments have been. Do you sometimes find in, in your uh, in Ghost, that there's a mismatch between uh, either what the candidates uh, seem to think that they're they're actually going to be doing day to day, or companies thinking that you know, making unrealistic uh, James Bond type uh, you know requests from well, their. Mm, uh, I don't get any unrealistic requests. Though I do get some requests from vendors asking if I could use their. Uh, I guess intelligence uh, solutions like a platform to to better serve my customers my clients and i'm like hey, no well i i teach my my students the old school way data mining data data consumption uh, data analysis uh, uh we don't use tools uh but uh it's just it, it's a bad habit for the intelligence professional to rely so much on tools they are definitely helpful they make your life easier but if any of those tools go offline then you're pretty much left out in the cold with if you don't have any uh old school training uh but that's for the companies in terms of the candidates it uh in terms of expectations um i guess a lot of them they're they're looking to get training uh on government intelligence right or they, they they think that somehow this is going to be touching on business or competitive intelligence right mm -hmm. and some of them actually don't understand that threat intelligence, protective intelligence, security intelligence, however you may want to call it, uh, it's it's a real service within the company. I mean, you you're out there um, uh, monitoring geopolitical developments around the world. You you're out there monitoring regions. You're reporting on uh, organized crime activity, let's say in Latin America or social unrest. You're keeping a track on anarchists. Uh, so there is this lack of understanding, uh, but I don't. I still don't understand why. Because if you go on on or up on a platform like LinkedIn, LinkedIn nowadays, and you search for this type of security-related jobs, I mean, you have many opportunities available. And you, you, when you consider, for example, that um, that both Disney and NFL. Uh, have uh, private intelligence departments. Right. When you realize, you know, it makes sense when you realize that mm -hmm. it's 
you know the the actual the global size of these companies and the global operation of these companies uh you know security and 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 threats actually start to make sense mm -hmm. correct and you know all, all major companies uh one way or another they, they have you know their own security departments and they're developing these things i mean something that you need nowadays right um and of course uh, it, you, you will always have people um uh in, within leadership positions there are former governments because they have the network, they have the understanding. Uh, but yeah, you have new and young blood coming into the professional world that previously they, they have zero experience with the government, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a new generation of analysts. You know, some of them there are uh, very savvy when it comes to technology online platforms they they know how to get intelligence or information and then may not necessarily know how to turn that into intelligence uh, but there is a lot of um, valuable talent that is being lost because again these people don't understand or are not aware that private sector intelligence within this uh, uh, definition i guess or this classification of similar to that being to the government exists. Uh, so that's something that I really uh, struggle uh, uh, with some of the students that, that don't have that, that knowledge that, that they don't really uh, understand or ex they don't know what to expect. Would you would you would you say there's almost a divide between the the academic knowledge and the technical application? Um, I wouldn't say too much on the academic knowledge because the literature on private sector intelligence has not really been developed, not like intelligence studies. Um, but I mean, you have uh, uh, people who are doing wonderful wor work like uh, Maria Robson, um, uh, who I, I always uh, work with when we attend the International Studies Association uh, conference under the intelligence section. She's doing wonderful work on private sector. And you also have, I guess you have me, I've, I've been one or two pieces in that, but the literature is just not there. So in terms of training, we go um, uh, very conceptual, but very, very hands-on as well. Uh, it's all applicable, all applied intelligence, how to do risk assessment, threat assessments, travel security assessments, strategic intelligence, tactical intelligence, investigations, and the, you know, the list continues. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not, um, this this portion of intelligence has not really been explored by academia. Um, Interesting. So I think it, it almost seems like on the on the one hand, we have the problem of fresh young talent coming out of uh, postgraduate studies, uh, armed with knowledge of intelligence, um, but not re but but there being perhaps a mismatch between what they can do and, and what companies think they can do. And then on the other hand, the profession itself is still quite minimal, marginal, and not as widespread as uh, it, it should be because there's so many benefits to, uh, not, not only to large companies, but I'd like to say as well, you know, throwing in a, an additional curveball here is, um, you, you know, can we talk about the private intelligence profession within smaller and medium businesses? And how long will it take to catch up in that front? No, it's already been developed, right? But obviously, it, intelligence units in the private sector uh, sometimes are, are, are seen as cost centers. So obviously, unlike the marketing department or the sales department, uh, 
the security department does not generate any revenue. And it's a bit of a catch-22 because how do you prove your worth if, you know, nothing happens, right? Does that mean that you're doing a good job or does that mean that actually nothing is happening and then you're just getting a paycheck for showing up? Um, so uh, it, 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 it's kind of difficult because for budgetary reasons, sometimes when a company is in a bad shape, the first thing that they do is cut security. Right. If they see, well, nothing has happened to us, it's really easy for us to do away with it. Um, so uh, it is really expensive for a company to establish their own in-house intelligence unit. So uh, the next best thing is to have uh, I don't know, a contract with uh, uh, one of those companies out there. I'm not going to mention any names, but that they offer embedded services. So you have an embedded analyst, uh, you know, a contractor basically uh, working for your company, but you don't have to pay uh, uh, the same money as if, you, if it was in-house. It's a cheaper solution. But, but that being said, yes, uh, the, the companies from, I will say medium-sized companies to obviously the, those transnational corporations, they obviously have it. Um, I don't know to what extent smaller companies have it. Uh, I haven't really encountered that, but definitely medium-sized. But I think, you know, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. And, and as I say, it might be interesting to to see how the, how this develops, because, um, you know, I could I could also imagine a future in which even smaller companies to survive, they're going to need uh, intelligence and security services because the world of tomorrow is going to be, by all accounts, more unpredictable than the world today. Well, uh, Thomas, we are living in, 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 in a very volatile world at the moment. Uh, we have seen an increase in uh, violent-related incidents here within the United States uh, for over the past few years. Um, and it's not getting any better. So let's say that you're in an intelligence unit, you're working for a, for, for a company, it's a medium-sized company. Uh, you wanna make sure that if there is an active shooter situation, that um, uh, the leadership is aware of it. And then you also, if you have property, you have a facility, you have people working nearby that they're also alerted in order to keep them safe, yeah. right? Um, this is not something that was so much of an issue back in the 90s. I mean, it was not, Unfortunately, it didn't happen as often as it happens now. I mean, you hear about that guy that that that, that was shooting people at a FedEx location, or here in New Jersey uh, at a shop right, or I believe it was Long Island. I don't remember. Um, so you have this type of incidents uh, that are happening here within the United States, right? Uh, but also in places like Mexico. I've, I recall uh, watching this video a, a few years back. Uh, it was a cantina, and then basically these these three guys with uh, um, with rifles just walk in, just kill everybody and just walk out like that. That's horrible. So th yeah, the, the world is getting uh, volatile, more dangerous. And yeah, uh, un unfortunately, you know, bad people keep us in business because we do need to look after the safety of everybody. And, and, and that's the key, I think. It keeps us in business working in the private field. And I think one of the one of the takeaways that we can discuss here is that you know the world of the world of now and what's going to continue into the future is the world uh, upon which we see many national governments are unable to to properly meet this crisis. Now, not just the third world, you know, not just the Mexicos and Bolivias, 
also the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, it is, uh, it, by all accounts, the violent activities, extremist action, terrorist-related, political extremism, uh, it, it's on the rise. And it behooves companies, especially those with large international um, footprints, um, to have de departments or to or to hire services that are able to to meet those challenges for them. Um, you know what can immediately come to mind is the big techs. You know I think only now we're beginning to understand the the power. There's there's a book that came out recently by a senator in uh, in America um, whose name escapes me, uh, but he he's written the book The Tyranny of Big Tech. So I'm sure our, our audiences will uh, will be googling that one, um, and uh, and I think you know I'm just uh, remembering bits and pieces. But one of the charges that was laid out uh, against him was that uh, you know he's calling out these big tech companies while investing tens of thousands of dollars in in Facebook and Google and whatever. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is there's there's companies with a kind of power and reach that we don't even understand yet. That's how powerful they are. That's how scary Amazon, Google, and Facebook are. Uh, and, uh, and they're exactly the kind of companies that could be ripe for uh, you know, potentially uh, either the byproduct or the direct target of security violations, hacks, um, you, you know, demonstrations, uh, work, so many, so many things could come into it. Um, and when you put it into that perspective, you think, well, you know, they need intelligence and they're going to need it more in the future. And that's good for us as an industry. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bad thing to say, but it, it is good for us. Uh, I mean, we wish that they, they, the world would be a safer place. Um, but look, um, I think the reason why the world has become more volatile now, more violent, it's because now we have access to more information easily. Now you can write a manifesto, you know, you're a bad person, you write a manifesto and then you go shoot up people and then you can publish that on um, certain social media platforms, right? Like the, the former HN. Um, and then that, that message is, it's been uh, replicated, replicated or recycled, replicated. It has, uh, it has an audience now, whereas before where you didn't have this, uh, it, that message was it was taboo and it was very hard to access it unless you were within the, the immediate circle of that, that individual the perpetrator so um, information social media in specific is both a blessing and a curse it's a blessing because it allows us all of us to be connected like this for example uh, it is a curse because uh, you the level of misinformation, disinformation, and also information with bad intentions, information designed to harm people, information designed to target certain racial groups. Um, it's so easy to share. And that is what, in my opinion, that is one of the key uh, contributing facts of why we're living in a more dangerous world. And just this overflow, this, this overwhelming amount of information now, it's also what is making intelligence analysts in the private sector, their work a lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not seasoned enough to understand what is bad information from what is good information to what is credible information, then um, you're likely to make a big mistake. And that's something that also governments have to go through. Uh, it's just information now, it's instead of being a luxury, like it was during, you know, the 80s and 70s, 60s and before that, now it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, it's really a challenge to be able to navigate that, that sea 
of, and especially uh, I think when, when we when we compare it to the 80s what immediately comes to to my mind is that the world has changed and and within that change we see that um, there are nowadays especially in the tech industry uh, very large multinational companies that are generating and holding and hopefully safekeeping an enormous amount of data uh, about citizens that used to be the sole domain of government i mean it wasn't that long ago it, you know if it, it, the government was really the only actor who could confidently know information about its citizens and even that was imperfect because uh, you know the, the, we didn't have the internet and so many other things um, nowadays you have huge massive companies like apple facebook google you name it um, that have an inordinate amount of, of data about people and they're the ones that keep it. You know, the law and regulations have not kept up with the developments, and so it's almost it's almost like you you could think of it as saying, well, you know, the the private intelligence officials are are actually doing the same kind of are on the same mission, if you will, as uh, what used to be just the the state agencies. Because you could also maybe come to the the the, the justification that actually. All intelligence practitioners, whether it's private or whether it's a state, are protecting data and protecting people by their extension. No, no, I mean, that that's accurate. I mean, uh, the, yeah, if you if you work, every company has their own uh, uh, data protection. I mean, <laughs> that that is the the norm, right? Uh, their own data protection officer uh, within maybe compliance departments or what have you. Uh, so yes, I mean that is you need to protect the data, the person, personal identifiable information, the PIIs of, of different people, whether it's um, in-house within the company or people that are just somehow affiliated or doing business with another company. Uh, that's one of the core components of just running a business. Uh, but, you know, coming back to, to these big tech uh, companies that you were mentioning, uh, aside from uh, from this issue of, uh, of data privacy and acquiring information from the population. Um, one big uh, issue that they're facing is uh, insider threats, right? Uh, so because they are tech, you know, you have foreign, foreign nationals uh, being planted by foreign powers, by certain adversaries, uh, and uh, they may be getting information from that company. And, and and so then they, they relay that information back to to their home home country for reverse engineering we we know which which country is notorious for doing that um, but this is also another reason why these companies need to have security departments and you know insider threat programs being so important uh, it, it's it, it's you need to keep these trade secrets this proprietary information safe Um uh, from uh, foreign powers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cast Podcast. This series is co-hosted by myself, Thomas Brancato, host of MI Cynic, and my exceptional colleague, Efren Torres, host at Cheezer Station. If you enjoyed this conversation, please stay tuned for more as we continue our collaboration in the future. Likewise, you can find a regular podcast over at MI Cynic and Chiefs of Station, respectively. 
please feel free to reach out to us for your comments and feedback regarding this episode by visiting ghost-intel.com or micynic.com or simply by using your favourite search engine. We hope you're looking forward to our next episode and wish each of you a great day. <laughs>